0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning to Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. My name is Jeff Birch, and I'm the pastor here at Lake Oconee, and it is my privilege to welcome all of you to worship this morning, and that is whether you're here with us in person or joining us through the live stream on Facebook or YouTube. And for our friends through the live stream, we would love it if you would let us know that you're with us in some way. Uh, Hit that like, hit that follow button, check in, whatever the right tech term. I'm not that techie. I do it out of necessity, but whatever the right term is, we would love to know that you're here uh, as well. And if you're visiting with us this morning in person, we are thrilled that you have chosen to join with us for worship this morning. We hope that one of the deacons out front gave you a goodie bag with all sorts of fun stuff in it. And we want you to be our honored guests. And for everyone, if you're at the end of your row, we would encourage you, uh, grab that friendship pad, sign it, pass it down the row, lets us know who's here, and hopefully in a very non-threatening way. A couple of brief announcements before we enter into worship. We have an inquirers class coming up in a few weeks. The dates on that are November 12th and 13th. So the format is it's a Friday night from 6 to 9, and then it's a Saturday, 9. I schedule it 9 to 3, but you know what? If everyone's good, we can get done before the first game of college football. So everybody comes in. They're all reformed. They're ready. They know their Westminster stuff by heart. But 9 to 3 is what we're scheduled for. We need you to sign up so we know how many are coming, uh, so we can prepare treats and all of that fun stuff. So there are several ways you could sign up. Obviously, you can go to the website anytime. You could call the office, let Yvonne know. You could also sign up on the sign-up sheet that's out in the Narthex. That way we have an idea how many are interested in coming. This is a class that will offer several times a year. So if you can't make this one, that's perfectly fine. It will be offered several times as we move into 2022. Can you believe uh, we are going to be heading into November and December soon? And you know what that comes up? We go from like 60 miles an hour to 90 miles an hour. Is that about right in terms of the holidays and stuff like that? I sometimes think around Thanksgiving and Christmas, we forget the verse that says, be still and know that I am God. We've got to learn to incorporate that. But we want to decorate the sanctuary and the church for the holiday season. And so on November 27th, it's a Saturday, At 9.30 a.m., if you're able to pitch in and help, we would love to have your help. There's a sign-up sheet out in the narthex for that. So those are some of the things uh, going on. There are many more things you can peruse uh, the bulletin and the announcement page for. And now, as uh, we hear the prelude, it is time for us to prepare our hearts to enter into the very presence of God for worship this morning. There is no greater time for the follower of Jesus and the family of God than the time where we gather together corporately in worship. And this is a primary means where God forms his people. It's almost like his gymnasium where we are being trained in the practices to have our loves reordered so that we learn to love God with all our being. Two of my favorite writers are Dan Allender and Tremper Longman, and they've written a book called The Cry of the Soul, and they speak of worship this way. They say, grateful worship begins with our acknowledgement of God's untold goodness in pouring out his mercy and remembering us in his kindness, not in our sin. Friends, God is initiating and calling us to worship this morning. And so hear and embrace the call to worship from Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you, with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Father, may we bless you with all our mind and heart and soul and strength. May we sing to the glory of your name. May we be captured by the wonder of your grace and mercy, your untold goodness. May we have a renewed vision of the wonder and beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ, And may you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, join with us now as we magnify your holy name. We pray through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Friends, let's stand and sing together. I'm convinced we need to sing this hymn more than just on Easter Sunday. The resurrection is celebrated every Lord's Day. So let me hear you really sing out, Christ the Lord is risen today. they tell us we're supposed to have variety. I could sing that every week. The scriptures do tell us, since then you have been raised with Christ. In Christ's resurrection, we have been raised to new life. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. We're not made better, we're made new. Isn't that something to get excited about? Friends, we come to this... Portion of our worship where we have the honor of worshiping God by acknowledging what it is we believe. And one of the great historic faiths is the Nicene Creed, developed at the Council of Nicaea. And so, friends, let us together recite what it is we believe. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit. Of the Virgin Mary, and was made man. He was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits on the right hand of the Father. He shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen going to ask us to stand again to sing, and this is a new song, so you may or may not be familiar with it. So here I talked about no variety, and what am I introducing? Variety. But the words to it are rich. Amy and the choir will lead us, but I invite you, I would love for us if you know it, to join with us and sing along, Christ is Risen. Let's stand together. be seated. We all had to ride a bike sometime, right? I think you did great. We've got to learn and that's how you learn. And think about this. The words to that are so rich. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by his own death. We are called to come awake to that we are called to become more and more free. What does Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 tell us? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And if Christ wasn't risen from the dead, what did Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15? We are to be pitied more than anyone else. But because he's risen from the dead, because he's ascended into heaven, because he's at the right hand of God the Father, Almighty, where He is ruling and reigning, guess what else He does? He hears our prayers. We can pour out our hearts to Him and grow closer to Him. So let's together pray the Lord's Prayer, and then I will lead us in our pastoral prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, thank you so much that you are our Father. That you love us. That you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us on the cross, to be raised from the dead, ascended into heaven where he rules and reigns. And then the Holy Spirit proceeding from both the Father and the Son to open the eyes of our hearts that we might see more and more the wonder and glory of the gospel, the good news of your kingdom, the good news of your rule and reign. Father, thank you that you sent Jesus to eat and to dine with sinners. That we don't have to have our act together. That as a matter of fact, we can never have our act together. The church is to be a hospital for sinners. We thank you so much that by your grace and mercy you accept us. By the righteousness of Jesus you approve of us that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Father, we pray that we would be people who long and ache for the coming of your kingdom. That we would pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done here on earth, here in Lake Oconee, Green County, Putnam County, the state of Georgia, the country, the world. We long for the will of God to be done. We pray for renewal. We pray for transformation. We pray for people to come to Christ. We pray for hearts to be changed. We pray for justice and mercy. And Father, you call us to ask for our daily bread. And so we ask for our provision physically, spiritually, relationally, in every way. Lord, we think of those who are hurting, those who are sick, those who are feeling lonely, those who are friendless. Lord, we ask that you would help us as a church to be your hands and your feet as we go out and minister to our church and to our community. And Lord, as we think about you forgiving us, may we be people who forgive those who've wronged us. We do live in a fallen world. And so, Father, we both uh, have been victims of those who've sinned against us, but if we're honest, we've been perpetrators and have sinned against others as well. So, Father, I pray for us to be a gracious community. And, Lord, may you cultivate holiness and Christlike in us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Lord, I pray that we would be a countercultural community, that we would not do things the way the world does them. That, Father, as a matter of fact, I pray that as people look at us, sometimes they may even wonder what's going on with those people. There's a sense of authenticity. They deal with life realistically, and yet they have a joy about them. At the same time, Father, I pray that you would cultivate Christ-likeness in us. For we acknowledge for yours and yours alone is the kingdom and the power and the glory. So may you be honored. May you be glorified. I feel like always for the live stream, I have to remind them, if you hear me, the <clears throat> I am wondering when does kind of hay fever and allergy, does it ever come to an end around here? Okay, since I had that brief time where I had pneumonia and all of that, it is not that. I feel good, doing fine, lots of energy, could be a dangerous Sunday when I feel a lot of energy that, you know, I warn you ahead of time. But I am <clears throat> that, and that is still just whatever, this weird sinus, ragweed, hay fever, I don't know what to call it, but I still have that. So on the live stream, my mother's watching on the live stream, sorry mom, I'll talk to you this afternoon, and you know I'm doing the best I can here. So what we're doing this morning is we are coming to the conclusion of what I'll call part one of the Book of Romans. If you remember when I introduced this, I said we'd be in chapters one through four, and so, uh, so you don't have to go through eight or nine years without, is there an Old Testament? Does that exist or something like that? We'll finish that off today, and then for several weeks that lead us up to Advent season and Christmas Eve, basically to the end of the year, we'll be doing something else. Come next week, and you get to find exactly what. I'm not giving away every surprise yet, Then we will return in 2022, Lord willing. Can you believe we're saying that, 2022? We'll return to the book of Romans and and go from there, and we'll tackle chapters 5 through 8. But we are concluding up chapters 1 through 4, where if you remember, what is Paul doing? Paul is a missionary at heart. I know we want to say he's always a theologian, and he is, but he's a missionary. He wants to see people come to Christ, He wants churches raised up. He wants people from every tongue and tribe and nation and language entering into the freedom of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so he's been stationed at Antioch. He basically, what does Acts 1.8 say? He wants to go to the ends of the earth. Paul takes that real seriously. And so he wants to do that, and so he is eventually wanting to go as far west. The ends of the earth for them was kind of like Spain, And so he wants to do that, so he sent this letter that basically goes to the capital of the empire, Rome, basically saying, here's what I'm all about. Here's what my life has been commissioned for. And what did he say in chapter 1? I have been set apart for the gospel. That means the gospel comes first, and everything is seen through the lens of the gospel. The gospel comes before, I'm going to step on toes here, comes before our family, comes before our country, comes before politics, comes before everything. I'll even step on my own toes. It comes before my beloved New York Yankees. The gospel comes before everything. That's what it means to be set apart for the gospel. And he's expositing that. And here in these early chapters... He is talking about how the gospel reveals the theme of the righteousness of God. So let's pause and let's pray. And we're looking this morning at Romans chapter 4, verses 18 to 25. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word describes itself as being living and active, which means I expect it. The promise of your scripture is it's working in our lives now. It may be working to comfort us, it may be working to change us, it may be working to challenge us, it may be working to offend us, but it's living and active. It is not just reading a newspaper, it's not just information. It's for formation. So, Father, I pray that we would surrender to your word, that we would, if you would, come under it, even if it makes us angry. We'd come under your word. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be free to work amongst us here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, if you have Bibles, turn in them to chapter 4, verses 18 through 25, and hear the word of the Lord. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. Now, just to put this in context, he's following up what he talked about in verses 16 and 17, is how God covenanted with Abraham. And part of that covenant is that Abraham would be the father of many nations. In other words, it was always God's plan to have a church, a people that would be made up of both Jews and Gentiles. Another way, a church that would be multinational, multiethnic, multicultural. That was always. And so in hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness, but the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised, who raised him from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. If we were to look at our culture today, we were to look out and see our world today, whatever you might call it, post this, post that, post whatever, whatever you want to label it, one thing is true. People in today's culture love narrative and story. That can't be argued against. So forgive me for doing this two weeks in a row, but I've got to go back to the Lord of the Rings. Now, you may not get another Lord of the Rings illustration for a while. I won't promise that, but who knows? but I've got to go back to my favorite novel outside the Bible. I've got to go back to The Lord of the Rings. And there's this conversation. Remember I introduced you to Frodo last week, The Hobbit? Well, Frodo's best friend was a hobbit by the name of Sam Gamgee. And Sam says to Frodo, I wonder what sort of tale we've fallen into. In other words, I wonder what sort of story we have found ourselves a part of. And later he continues... And we shouldn't be here at all if we'd known more about it before we started. But I suppose it's often that way. The brave things and the old tales and songs, adventures as I used to call them, I used to think that they were things the wonderful folk of the stories went out and looked for because they wanted them, because they were exciting and life was a bit dull. A kind of sport, as you might say. But that's not the way of it with the tales that really mattered or the ones that stay in the mind. Folk seem to have been just landed in them. Usually, their paths laid that way, as you put it. So Sam says, I repeat, I wonder what sort of tale we've fallen into. And then Frodo responds, I wonder, but I don't know. And that's the way of a real tale. Dan Allender, in his book To Be Told, says that God is continually writing our story. Matter of fact, he says, God is a master storyteller. But he doesn't send us the next chapter to read in advance. Instead, we all read backward, finding the meaning in our stories as we read what God has already written. Life is a story that unfolds in such a way that we can't see very far ahead. And Allender continues he says, Everyone has a story. Everyone's life is a story, but many people, here comes the application, many people don't know how to read their life in a way that reveals their story. They miss the deeper meaning in their life, and they have little sense of how God has written their story to reveal himself and his own story. Do you hear that? God has written each of our stories in order to reveal a nugget, to reveal something of himself and his story. Allender's right. God is a master storyteller. In fact, his word, the Bible, is both a revelation of God himself and of God's story, the gospel. And let me tell you, God loves to tell his story. And every story, if you think about it, has characters, do they not? And Abraham is a major character in the story of God. As a matter of fact, Romans chapter 4, this whole chapter we've been looking at, is what? It's an exposition of the life of Abraham. I told you several weeks ago, you really don't understand Romans 4 unless you go back and read Genesis 12, Genesis 15, and Genesis 17. You need to know the story of Abraham because that's what Paul is constantly alluding to to show When we encourage you to put your faith in God, we are looking at the faithfulness, the righteousness, and the promises of God. And that your story is not something new or made up. It is rooted in the history of men like Abraham. Now, I want you to think about something. Here's Abraham, this major player in the story. And we said earlier, God doesn't send us the next chapter in advance to read. And isn't that a good thing? Because think about what we know of Abraham's life. Imagine if Abraham knew his story ahead of time. Do you think how, you know, Abraham's story, God calls him and says to him, Abraham, if it's comfortable, leave it. I want you to leave your family, your homeland, what's familiar. If you know about it, leave it behind, go. And where are you going? I'll tell you when we get there. Imagine if Abraham knew that ahead of time. Do you think he'd go? I want you then, next part of his story, I want you to get married. I'm going to promise you this family. And this family, let's see, what do I liken it to? Well, let's go outside and kind of look at the sky. The stars of the sky, or let's go to the beach and check out how many grains of sand there are. That's going to be the size of your family. That's some Thanksgiving dinner, is it not? That's the size of Abraham's family. Abraham says, okay, what's next? Well, one, one problem. Your wife is barren. Okay. These chapters are unfolding. You think Abraham might be going a few times? What's going on here? Can't have children. Finally had a child in his old age and ended up being the father of of many nations, of which, get this, we are part of his children. We're part of that stars in the sky and grains of sand on the seashore. We are part of Abraham's family and his legacy. Do you think if Abraham knew his story ahead of time, where would faith come in? If you know all the answers ahead of time, where's the necessity of faith? But look at what the text says in Romans chapter 4. It says, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was 100, or considered Sarah, who was barren. He did not weaken in faith. That's an amazing statement. He believed in hope, even against hope. See, if all we do is consider ourselves, if our eyes are on ourselves, we're looking at ourselves, our condition, our bodies, our circumstances are this, we're not going to get very far. But what did Abraham do? He considered God. He believed in the promise of God. See, I want you to think about something for a second. Why is the story of the gospel written down for us in the Bible? Why did God choose to write it down for us in the Bible? Why was the revelation of God's grace in Jesus written down? See, the story of the gospel is all about God, and I want you to think about this for a second, because for about 20 to 30 years after the life, work, teaching, death, and resurrection of Jesus, there were no written accounts yet. The story of Jesus was spread more by word of mouth, orally, verbally. And at first, the story of Jesus could be told and spread this way. Because it was harder for there to be distortions due to the presence of eyewitnesses. Think about 1 Corinthians 15. I'll refer to that again. When Paul is talking about the resurrection and he's speaking about how it happened and he comes to one time where he's talking about the risen Christ and he happens to mention there were 500 people who saw him at once. Eyewitnesses. And he goes on to say that many of them are still alive. It's almost like he's saying, do you doubt this? Do you struggle with this? Go talk to Fred and Joe and Rich and all of them. They were there. They're part of the 500. They're going to tell you. But then think about how this happens over time. What happens to that generation? They begin to die off. And there arose the danger of people deciding for themselves who they wanted Jesus to be distortions in the message, distortions in the story. See, this is a narrative and its story, but let me tell you, this is no ordinary story. This is 100% true, and our lives depend upon it. So the danger of making up a Jesus of our own is very real. Guess what? It's what our hearts like to do. We like to have a Jesus we can control. We like to have a Jesus who agrees with us. We like to have a Jesus who thinks the way we think and doesn't contradict us. And so what did God decide to do? He raised up people like Peter, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and eventually Paul. Who what did they do? They took the eyewitness accounts, wove them together, wrote them down so we could have the real Jesus. And why is this important? Why do we need the real Jesus? Because a Jesus of your own can't change you. A Jesus of your own can't forgive you can't help you, can't renew and transform you. Remember we said chapter 4 is all about the faith of Abraham, and Abraham's faith was not faith in faith, and it's not the strength of his faith. The nature of Abraham's faith was to look away from from himself to the promise of God. And verses 18 to 24, see, my introduction was basically summing up verses 18 to 24. You know what I'm about to do? I'm about to hone in laser-like now on verse 25. That's the real focus of the sermon. I've kind of summed up verses 18 to 24 about Abraham's faith and hope. But his faith was in what? It was in the promise of God. And verse 25 gives us a wonderful promise, a wonderful summary statement, if you will, of the promise of God. And so we're going to look at it. This is going to be a simple outline you're taking notes. I'm going to go real easy on you. Simple outline, two points. This summary statement of the promise of God will reveal the purpose of Jesus's death and the purpose of Jesus's resurrection. Very Not too creative this morning, but true to the gospel message. Look at the first part of verse 25 and the purpose of his death. It simply says, "...who was delivered up for our trespasses." Now, I want us to think here because we notice a couple of things here. We learn here, first of all, the purpose of Jesus' death. Now, I know I titled this sermon, Resurrection Hope, but you really can't understand and appreciate Jesus' resurrection if you don't understand the purpose of his death. They are inseparable. They go together. They're like two sides of one coin or two wings of an airplane. How would you like to fly in an airplane with only one wing? Would that get you far? I don't think so. You need to have both. So it says, first, he, Jesus, was delivered. Now, I want you to notice something here. This is real important. Who is the agent of the action here? It's God the Father. The text tells us Jesus was delivered. The agent of the action, though, is God the Father. And the word delivered literally means handed over. In other words, God handed Jesus over to those who would kill him. Now marinate in that for a second. We are worthwhile enough to God that he was willing to hand Jesus over so that he wouldn't lose you. I'm standing here convicted because I struggle with self-worth. I always think I'm not good enough. I always think everyone's better than me. And yet I come back to this message and I'm going, wait a second, I was worthwhile enough to God that he would not only send Jesus to come on this earth, he would hand Jesus over to the authorities to be killed for me. I don't soak in that nearly enough, how about you? That may sound like a simple and basic message, but if that message really grabbed hold of our hearts, we would be different. We would be freer. We would be more loving, we'd be less defensive, we'd be less worried about, is somebody going to criticize us? Now I want you to think about this for a second. How much do you think the father loved the son? I think they were close a little bit? What do you think it cost the father to hand over the son to be killed? What was the nature of their relationship? And yet this was the father's initiative. It was the father's action. The father delivered. He handed over Jesus to death. And why? For our trespasses, for our sins. The purpose of his death was for our sins At the very least, our sins must be pretty bad for it to take the death of Jesus to deal with them. Tim Keller, quoting Jack Miller, always says, we are far worse than we know and far more loved than we could ever imagine. Now, this definitely challenges us, but it also may surprise us. See, I have a question for you. And again, forgive me on the live stream. Question for you. When we approach God, what is it we want from Jesus? Now I'm asking you to search your hearts here, challenge yourself a little bit, go a little deeper. What is it we want from Jesus? See, I mentioned earlier that many if not most people are somewhat interested in Jesus. I think Jesus might be quite popular, but we want a Jesus on our own terms. We want a Jesus who solves our problems, who makes our life better, who we can control. So what do we want from Jesus? See, I think about the story in Mark chapter 2 of a man who wanted something from Jesus. It's about a man who was paralyzed, and his friends loved him well. His friends brought him to Jesus. But they went where Jesus was preaching and teaching, and the crowd was so large, the crowd was so enormous, they couldn't get in the front door. That's a vision for us, isn't it? Can you imagine that? The crowd's so large here, wanting to hear about Jesus that they can't come in. So what do these four friends do? I want you to picture this. They go up on the roof, and they start carving a hole in the roof. I know what our immediate thought would be. We got a new roof, right, right on this church last year? I know what our thoughts would immediately be. be great. They're tearing up the roof so more people can get in. That's what we'd be thinking, right? So here they are. They're lowering this man... On his mat by the roof to get him to bring him to Jesus. They go to those, that many lengths to bring their friend, talk about love, to bring him to Jesus, and we're afraid to tell people about Jesus? What's wrong with us? And so they go and they do this. And now, what do you think this man wants from Jesus? Now, he's paralyzed. Remember this. What do you think he wants? He wants to walk again, he wants healing. Now, what do you think this man says to Jesus? Here's where it's a little challenging and surprising. Mark chapter 2, verse 5, it says, When Jesus saw their faith, so far so good, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, let's be human for just a second here as we think about that. Do you think that's what this man, or even the friends, were expecting from Jesus at that moment? Great. Okay, that's good. I'm forgiven. How wonderful. I'll go home and tell my wife that you know she has to forgive me now because Jesus decided to forgive me. He wanted to walk. What does this tell us about he was handed over for our sins? Maybe there is something wrong with us that goes much deeper than just our life's problems. Maybe we have a deeper need than people's approval of us. Maybe we have a deeper need than people liking us. Maybe we have a deeper need than our family turning out the way we have a vision for it or life turning out the way we have a vision for it. See, we are not going deep enough if all you want is for Jesus to heal you or fix your problems. You have underestimated the depths of your longings, The depths of the, excuse me, human longings of the heart. It's not that Jesus is minimizing our suffering. He will take care of that. He enters into that. He cares about that. He is not denying or minimizing our suffering, but he's saying you do have a greater need, and that greater need is to be forgiven. He says, I know you are suffering. You've been the victim of terrible things that, are, that may not be your fault, but you need to know that the main problem of your life is not your suffering, it's your sin. Jesus was handed over and delivered for our sins, and what is our chief sin? The sin underneath every sin, and again, I'm so dependent on Tim Keller for this. Because I think he puts it best. He says, our deepest problem is that every one of us is building our identity on something besides Jesus. Every single one of us is looking at something and saying, if I only had that, my life would be better, my life would be okay. Every single one of us is looking at a thing, and for most of us, it's a good thing. It's a good family. Popularity, approval, control, love, people liking us, health, all of these things are gifts of God. They are good things, but they distort our heart when we make them ultimate things. And the chief, and every one of us is doing it. This is what we all have in common, friends. No matter what our background, no matter what's happened to us, no matter what our leanings and our views and our opinions, we all have in common that every single one of us, it's called our flesh, build our identity on something other than Jesus. And it leads to death. In Romans chapter 6, that we'll get to sometime in 2022, Jesus says the wages of sin is death. And that's not just death. Ultimate physical or spiritual death at the end of our days. Yes, it includes that. But that's every time we live our lives here, living for that X, whatever it might be, we are experiencing death and not life. We are experiencing a disorientation, a disintegration. I can't say the word. Integration. We're falling apart, so to speak. And we're worthwhile enough to God that he sent his son to put us back together. Jesus came to change the thing your heart most wants because that is what our real problem is. He came to change the main thing your heart wants. That's why I say at the beginning of the call to worship, Jesus is here to change your loves. He is here to reorder your loves. There's a reason in the Sermon on the Mount Jesus said, seek first. He didn't say, seek sixth, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He didn't say, yes, after family, and after your sports team, and after X, Y, and Z, then get to me. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In other words, you want to experience life, and Jesus is all about life. He has come. What does John 10.10 say? The thief has come to steal and kill and destroy. Which means, by the way, a whole other sermon. I'll get to it someday. The enemy, Satan, knows your vulnerabilities. He knows what your heart... He knows exactly... I guarantee you he's alive and well and knows exactly where to attack me on Sunday morning. He knows how I have a tendency to build my identity on how did the sermon go? How did church go? Did I have people's approval? I need to remind myself all the time, do you know how much the evil one loves me? Not at all. He comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. You need to look at those good things in your life that you make into ultimate things, and you need to say, they are there for my death. They are not there for my good and for my life. They are there to take me down. But Jesus has come to give us life and life for the full. And that's not just living forever when we die because here's the next point. He was raised together for our just, he was raised up from the dead for our justification. And so what was the purpose of the resurrection? It was that the life of the world to come. Now listen carefully, folks. Eternal life begins now. It is not just a future thing. It begins now. The kingdom of God has been inaugurated. He was raised for our justification. And think about this. What's the connection between resurrection and justification? We've been studying justification for the last several weeks. And what did we say it was? It was a declaration by God that we are both forgiven and right that our status is that we are non-condemnable before God and we are totally acceptable before God. Now, why does it say he was raised to life for our justification? He was raised for the purpose of securing this justification. Well, Jesus' resurrection was a vindication of all he accomplished. It was God's yes to Jesus' work. Thus, Jesus' resurrection by vindicating Christ and freeing him forever from the influence of sin provides for us the ongoing power over sin experienced by the person who believes and thus is joined to Christ. See, the resurrection provides the basis for our being accepted by God. In other words, it provides the power for our living out of that acceptance. See, if our heart's problem was trying to build an identity on something besides Jesus, it was doing that because our heart's longing is always to have an identity, to count, to matter, to be significant, to be accepted. But if you already have that, by virtue of Christ's resurrection, it is rock solid. It's in the bank. Count on it. You can't lose it. If Christ's resurrection was God's yes to your already being made right, then your heart has what it most needs. And all these other things may be good things, but your heart doesn't ultimately need them. You don't have to have them in order to live. And of course, how do we get this? We get it by faith. This is why faith is not just about how to become a Christian. Faith is all about how to live the Christian life. I know I'm speaking to people who've been Christians for many, many years. But again, as Tim Keller says, the gospel is not the ABCs of the Christian life. The gospel is the A to Z of the Christian life. And I'm looking out at all of us, and guess what? We haven't made it to Z yet. The gospel is the A to Z of the Christian life. And the gospel is lived by faith. N.T. Wright says, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. That, after all, is what the Lord's prayer is all about. He says, God's plan is not to abandon this world. The world which he said is very good, Rather, he intends to remake it. And when he does, he will raise all his people to new bodily life to live in it. He says that is the promise of the Christian gospel. That is the promise that we are called to live by, to think out, to consider believing it, embracing it, living by it. That is resurrection hope. Let's pray. Father, the message, as I preach it every Lord's Day, I think to myself, it's too good to be true. And then yet, it is true. Lord, I am praying for my own heart to believe it more and more, to understand it. I feel like I know so little of the glory of the gospel. And I pray that we would just fall in love more and more with the wonder of the good news of Jesus. Thank you for this opportunity just to chew on your word for a few minutes this morning. Thank you for your presence here. As we leave this place, Lord, I pray that we would just continue to think about what are the implications of Jesus, your death and your resurrection for our lives, our relationships, how we approach the world, how we approach you. Father, thank you for loving us in Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Let's stand one more time and sing. Lead on, O King Eternal. friends, now receive the Lord's benediction. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen.